the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember... As always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend. We did. This was our communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel. And I always love that. Uh, but yesterday was even more special because yesterday for us was a day where we had both sacraments of the New Testament church on the same day. It was our summer baptism event, and we had a great time. Tons and tons of people out there, lots of food, of course, wherever Christians are. There's always a lot of food. And uh, it just really, really was a great day. Um, i got to tell you, some of the stories... Um, one of the things the Lord has really been working on my heart today about uh, is just to be more patient and kinder, more compassionate uh, with people. Sometimes they can seem a little needy or a little troubled, and and you never know what's been going on in their lives until you uh, get a chance to hear them. We had the opportunity. We like to do this when we do their, our baptisms um, we had the opportunity to uh, have a mic set up. We had worship out there, a mic set up. And so people, before they came down in the pool, uh, they could share if they wanted to. And, and the stories, uh, you, you just never would know. Um, you assume people are doing okay. Uh, obviously, if they're troubled, you know they're not, but you don't know the story. And, um, I mean, yesterday we had everything from a young woman who, um, I like when they get in the water to ask how long they've been a Christian or when did they decide to give their heart to Jesus. And one of the young women said, a young woman um, said, um, well, well uh, I became a Christian when my husband died. She said a year ago. And you see, people are carrying around all this pain and you don't know when another lady who took the mic and she shared that uh, before she came to our church, she was thinking about ending her life. Just no hope, no reason to live any longer, she thought. And then she met Jesus, and this body loved her. And And uh, yesterday she was making a public declaration. We had another um, young woman, young to me, um, who um, had, had lived in a gay lifestyle for a long time and had been in trouble. And um, she wanted to get baptized because she said, when I met Jesus this time, I changed. The, the, before when I did it, I knew I wasn't serious. I knew I hadn't left my sin. 
but but now I've changed and she she just wanted the world to know it. I mean, there was story after story after story. We had a radio listener and his daughter who came, uh, to, who were baptized, Ron and Brandy, if you're listening, God bless you. Thank you. It was so nice to meet you face to face. Um, but, but just the stories and to be able to uh, have communion and uh, baptism on the same day. Um, all I could do coming home yesterday and all morning this morning is just thank God for allowing me to live this life. It's an amazing thing. Amazing privilege, a blessing. So we got to do that yesterday. So your Sunday probably wasn't as adventurous as mine, but I uh, pray you had a really, really great Sunday, especially at church. Hey, um, a couple of quick things, and then we'll just get right to some questions while we await your phone calls. Um, tonight, we're going to be having our final Sweet Summer Devotion uh, for the summer series, Darlene Littman, who has been our children's ministry leader here at the church for 26 years. And one of the great things about Darlene, I have no idea what she's going to talk about today. Darlene is not particularly comfortable talking in front of people. But, um, you know, she has served so faithfully that her daughters um, are just sort of heir apparents and they've been serving like mom. And then her granddaughters, the daughters of of the the two girls, um, they've been doing the same thing. It's just it just comes natural to them, and it's a family that has been such a blessing to us for so very very long. And believe me, Darlene knows where all the bodies are buried. She's she knows uh, all of the stories and all of the background. Uh, her and her husband Ron, who is one of my elders, has been here for a very very long time. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what Darlene has to say. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch it uh, at calvarysa.com. But remember, it's always better to be here. And we have room. Uh, there's a lot of ladies that come, but we have room. And um, the, the Q&A is where really most of the ministry takes place. Uh, and we, we don't broadcast that because we want it to remain private so it can be, it can be sensitive and... Um, Try to come. It's our last one for the summer. Then there'll be, I think, a couple-week break. And then uh, uh, Paul and the other ladies who are teaching will start, I think, in First John coming up. So that is tonight at 7 o'clock. Men, uh, Pastor Ken will be teaching um, one of his and my favorite verses, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in his uh, verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. And then, of course, we've got our junior high school and high school pastors who will be teaching as well. So you can make it a family affair. And we have child care uh, where they will also be taught at their level. Uh, so you can bring the family and really enjoy a productive, fruitful Monday night. Okay, I don't think I have anything else but questions. So let me get to some of the questions that have been sent in. Uh, this one is from Karen from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor On This summer I took my kids to SeaWorld and the San Antonio Zoo. I was told by another professing Christian that I shouldn't be going to things like this because people are abusing these animals and have them locked up in cage, that Jesus wouldn't go to these places. What are your thoughts? Karen, I would tell this professing Christian to mind his or her own business. I would do it nicely. I would be uh, courteous. Um, but this is this is nonsense. You know, God created animals for our pleasure. People don't like to think that's very politically incorrect to say that, but God created animals for our pleasure. And to to uh, challenge you for taking your children to see things that millions upon millions upon millions of kids have seen over the years. Uh, you know, uh, 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 San Diego Zoo, if, if kids haven't been there, they need to go there. It's a wonderful place. The, the, the animals are well cared for. They are loved uh, by and large, and I know a few of them by and large. Uh, zookeepers and employees at zoos, those who deal with the animals, uh, are, are um, very careful and very loving and very attached to the animals. And this is just sort of politically correct nonsense that we need to um, 
just ignore. Just ignore. There's no value at all. And uh, the, the fact that this person is a professing Christian and would deny you that freedom, Karen, and your children that freedom is just silliness. It's just silliness. So uh, pray for him or pray for her. Um, and, and I hope they get their priorities right. But, but your priority is Jesus. Uh, you did what's right for your kids. And, and these places have been around for a very, very long time uh, before they became politically incorrect. Uh, I, I wonder if that professing Christian eats chicken or goes to McDonald's. You know, there's just no end to this politically correct silliness. So, Karen, enjoy SeaWorld and the zoo um, and do that. You know, it's your money that pays uh, in there um, that uh, keeps those people in jobs and those animals are really well cared for. Thank you very much for the question. Here is an anonymous question from our email inbox as well. Hello, Pastor. Good day to you, and I pray you and Mama Paula are doing well. Uh, it, I'm sorry, I didn't say Mama Paula. I thought I'm, I'm not reading well. You and Paula are doing well. She is doing well. I left her a little while ago, and she was doing great. My question is, why do certain religions believe in not donating or receiving blood? Thank you. Two things, Anonymous. First, uh, certain religions, all religions, apart from being a born-again Christian, uh, they're false religions. So it doesn't really matter what they believe in. It, it doesn't have any merit. It doesn't have any foundation to it. Now, I can tell you, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they're against blood transfusions um, uh, because of, of a misunderstanding of Old Testament passages like the life is in the blood. and um, um, but, but their entire perception of Scripture is off. So, uh, Anonymous, there's, there's no merit to them believing that or, 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 for that matter, believing anything else because their faith, uh, their religious practices are in contradiction, even worse than that, in contradistinction to uh, what the Bible says. So, that's why they do it. Um, People have died over the years uh, because of that belief, and I think that's um, abuse. Um, but nonetheless, uh, people, I, I say all the time, if they won't believe the truth, they will believe anything is true. And um, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in that. I'm not certain Seventh-day Adventists, I'm, I'm thinking, don't believe in it as well. But uh, it's a misunderstanding of the Word of God. And um, and in most cases, they're not real Christians at all. Jehovah's Witnesses are not believers. Their Jesus is not the Son of God who created all things. And um, in, in that case, we can just basically ignore anything they want. So uh, my point, Anonymous, is that the why isn't important because what they believe is wrong. It's built on a bad foundation. Good question. Thank you very much. Here is a question from Maverick, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Hello, Pastor Ron. Really enjoyed listening to radio ministry. Keep up the great work. I'll try. Thank you. Here's a question. What are your thoughts on the reference of Xmas versus Christmas? Attended a church service during the 2021 holiday season and sat behind the communication section for the event. Noticed on the monitor a presentation labeled with an Xmas designation, which I found odd. After the service, I asked the individual running the equipment, why not just spell out the word Christmas? Was advised that the word Christos and Christ begins with the letter X or Chi, C-H-I, in Greek, uh, hence the labeling. Uh, At the time, the explanation seemed plausible, so I let alone. As, uh, as it's my understanding, much of the Bible is Greek and Latin translations. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 advises, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall be ever with the Lord. From my understanding, the words caught up in the Latin translation of this verse comes from the word rapturo, uh, raptus, actually. The Greek word translates to harpazo, which means to be caught up and snatch away. Your thoughts on the matter, sir. Um, let me deal with the last thing first. First, you've, you've got that right. Um, the, the, the Latin Vulgate 
um, uh, use the word harpazo. Um, um, or the Greek is, is harpazo. The, the, use the word raptus or rapturo um, to describe the rapture. That's why we call it the rapture. Um, but but it means basically the same thing. And yes, that is the the Greek and Latin translations. But again, they mean the same thing. Um, regarding the 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 Christos, um, the, uh, let me tell you, I hate uh, almost to the point of being angry. I hate uh, when anybody who professes the name of Christ uses the word Xmas. Uh, it is a cop out, uh, selling out to the world around us. Uh, we know that that's what's happened. Uh, in the in the, 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 the economic world, um, rather than say Christ and give Christ the honor and glory that He's due on the day we celebrate His birthday, it's easy just to Xmas. And I always tell them, look, you're just Xing Jesus out. Now, what frustrates me even more in your case is that um, the the person uh, that you asked um, said the word Christos begins with the letter X. Uh, in Greek, that that's absolutely nonsense. It does not begin with the letter X. Um, the the transliteration into uh, English is Christos, C H R I S T O S, and it means the Anointed One, and it is a reference to Christ. There is no X there at all. Now we've also got people these days, uh, Maverick. We've got people who are using Xgen. X dash T I A N instead of writing out Christian, and um, it it's just uh, a, an indication of how um, lukewarm we've become. Um, but 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 his explanation is not plausible at all. It makes no sense at all. Uh, you hold to your guns. Uh, the holiday season is not the holiday season. It's the Christmas season. And the whole world celebrates Christ and everybody in the world is accountable no matter how they exit out or anything else. So uh, it's simply not true. Um, The Greek letter that looks like an X is not an X. So um, I don't know what kind of church that was, but um, if that's typical of their um, approach to the Word of God, uh, I would say it is a church that needs to be um, really, really, um, you need to be careful. need to watch out. Thanks very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, we have got a question that just was called in to our studio producer. Um, Pastor Ron, I heard about a four-year-old child that is transitioning from female to male. And the town is having a parade for her. I don't believe that the four-year-old child can make this decision. I believe this is addressed in the Bible. Um, but I can't remember where. I believe it's something about a millstone. Can Pastor, please remind us where this is addressed in the Bible. Yeah, Jesus says it. It's in a couple of the Gospel accounts. Matthew 18, um, verse 5 says, Whoever receives a child in my name receives me. But whoever, and this is verse 6, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fashioned, fastened around his neck and to be drawn down in the depth of the sea. So it's in the Gospels. Matthew 18 is um, um, verses 5 and 6 uh, is is the first one that, that, uh, that I found. Um, but um, th- this is the kind of nonsense that's ruining people's lives. And the, 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 the price that we're going to pay for the decisions that uh, these woke, and I use that in quotes, um, um, they're making are going to affect their children forever and ever and ever. Um, there is an all-out attack on the Word of God. We having been created in the image of God, um, it shouldn't surprise any of us. This is a satanic deception. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, uh, verse twelve talks about God sending them a powerful delusion. God is giving uh, us over to ourselves, and we're seeing this happen. Uh, this is child abuse. Uh, just a, a very few years ago, I mean, I have to go back 20 years, just a very few years ago, this would be absolutely inconceivable. 
And now what you've got, especially in California, especially in California, you've got almost these uh, middle to upper class uh, and even especially the rich uh, who are almost competing to see whose kid gets to be trans first because that's sort of the sign of being uh, woke and in. And uh, it, this is just horrible. Uh, uh, there isn't a thinking person in the world whoever would have thought this was possible. And there isn't a thinking person in this world who thinks it's okay. I will also add, there can't be a person with an awareness of God who thinks this is okay. And the, the real tragedy, uh, caller, is that this is, uh, this is the insanity of sin. So that's it. Thank you for calling the question in. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app that just came in anonymously. Hello, Pastor. May I get your thoughts on two pastors, teachers, and if you recommend listening to them? Uh, the first is Adrian Rogers, and the second is Hank Hanegraaff. Um, um, a yes and a no. <laughs> Adrian Rogers is, um, I must say, one of my heroes. He's not one of my heroes. He's one of my favorite Bible teachers, not to mention that he has maybe the greatest voice that's ever been behind the pulpit mic. Uh, but but he's great. He's a Baptist pastor. He's with Jesus now. I think he's been gone, oh, probably close to ten years now, uh, and and um, um, a gifted Bible teacher, and by all accounts, a godly man, uh, without ever a hint of scandal. Uh, a man that loved God and loved God's people, and God continues to honor him as He does with somebody like J. Vernon McGee, long after his. Uh, his physical death here on earth. So um, Adrian Rogers, um, I have no qualms about at all. Um, uh, I, I listen to him. I only listen to the radio really when I'm either getting ready to go to sleep or I'm in, in the car. Uh, but uh, if I'm in the car when he's on, uh, my radio goes on. Um, I've learned a lot from him over my many, many years uh, of teaching the Bible. Um, but love him, absolutely love him, and it's it's wonderful now knowing that he's been with Jesus for ten years. It's wonderful to 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 listen to the clarity, the simplicity of the message, and I don't mean simple in terms of 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 um, not doctrinal or theological, but but just the simple proclaiming of God's word. Uh, he's Baptist; he preaches like a Baptist, but he is. Um, um, He's worth listening to. Hank Hanegraaff, on the other hand, uh, is a big no, uh, a big no. Now, I've got a big, big, long history with Hank Hanegraaff. Um, the Lord used him so vitally in my early walk with Christ. I go back now 30 years, and uh, Paul and I have told a story before Paul and I started out. We are going to all kinds of churches, um, uh, faith and prosperity churches. I'd never read the Bible. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know right from wrong. So I was just going to everybody and uh, listening to the Bible Answer Man um, on, on the local radio station in Southern California back then. Uh, Hank Hanegraaff helped me so much. He was at that time a Calvary Chapel guy. He went to Calvary Costa Mesa. Pastor Chuck Smith was his pastor. And he spoke about that a lot. He was um, uh, very clear, very straightforward. Um, he was committed uh, to reasoning through the scriptures. And somewhere along the line, uh, Anonymous, he took a wrong turn. Um, his ministry became focused on money. Uh, he began coming up with uh, strange doctrines uh, on the rapture. He became a preterist. Uh, all kinds of things. I kept thinking, what is he doing? He's 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 ignoring the same rules um, of Bible exposition of of hermeneutics that that he's proclaimed so boldly, and he come up with all these weird things. Well, as you probably know by now, he has converted to uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, religion. Um, I, I think Hank is a believer. 
but he is so wrong, and he has now disowned a whole bunch of the things that he said, and frankly, he believes now a lot of heretical things. So, uh, no, Hank Hanegraaff is not somebody that you should listen to. He still has the Bible Instrument program, which is on the radio here. I think there's a half-hour um, 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 feature of it every day uh, on one of the radio stations. Uh, but uh, it's not worth listening to anymore. He's just so far off and so wrong. Uh, he's just lost his way, and it makes no sense to me how it could happen. But it's been a warning to me. And remember, I'm a guy who knows Hank personally. Uh, and a guy who uh, who was immensely blessed. So this is a heartbreaking thing for me to have to say. I would say, I would warn people against listening to Hank Hanegraaff. He's very confident. Uh, the problem is he's very confidently wrong. And the things that I've been listening to for all these years now uh, that he believes so strongly, um, so forcefully, now he no longer believes those things. And remember, the Word of God doesn't change, so it must have been him. Thank you, Anonymous, for the call. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. We would love to have your uh, calls before 95 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday program, 340-9585. I want to remind you again that tonight is our final Sweet Summer Devotion um, session tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, 7 o'clock, calvarysa.com, or you can be here and join us live. Hey, can I also ask, and Paula and I will talk about this on Wednesday, but um, just keep Paula in your prayers this week. She's going to be teaching at a pastor's wives conference um, coming up at the end of the week, over the weekend, actually. And I know she would appreciate you um Praying for her, so uh, we'll do that. Here is a question from Nelson. Nelson, I haven't heard from you for a while. Good to hear from you. He says, I come from a church background, which is King James Version only. Is it sin to use another version? Uh, Nelson, no, of course it's not sin. And, um, you know, the, the, the whole King James only um, group of people, they're Christians. Most of them are real believers. Uh, but they're just not able to think logically. The King James Version is not the only authorized version of the Bible. If that were so, that means that there would be no Bible that was authorized before 1611. It would mean that every Bible translated into any other language in English would not be authoritative, period. Um, um, It's just nonsense. The, The King James is a great translation. I always say this. Because the King James only guys will send me emails. I am a huge King James fan. Um, That's the Bible I grew up with as a Christian. It was my very first Bible as a believer. And uh, I mean, I read it so much that I memorized a lot of it. So uh, with my vision issues that I have, um, uh, you know, when when I can't read my notes... Uh, I, King James is what comes out. So I love it. Um, but it's not the only authorized Bible. Uh, in fact, it's not even the best translation. Um, as most of you know, I believe strongly that the 1984 NIV is by far the superior um, New Testament translation. Just the 1984. Um, but it is certainly not the only Bible that has any merit. Language changes and newer translations change with our language changes, but they're translating uh, manuscripts, just different sets of manuscripts. All of the manuscripts um, are, are authoritative 
and they're just being faithful to translate. The King James, the New King James, and the King James only people don't even like the New King James, but they're basically translating out of the Texas Receptus or the majority manuscripts. So they're they're using the same um, uh, authoritative transcripts or manuscripts. Um, but the uh, newer translations are uh, translating the Alexandrian uh, transcripts, which are a little bit older than the the Texas Receptus. Um, but but almost all the translations are good. There's some really really horrible ones. Um, the Message, um, uh, the Passion Translation. Um, um, there's some really bad ones. I don't have to list them all. Uh, but but most of the translations that you're going to see out there that people are actually buying now are good, solid, dependable translations of the original manuscripts. So, um, Nelson, don't don't worry about that at all. Thank you for the call or the question. Let's go to James from Belmont on line one. James, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Well, yeah, and thank you uh, for having me. I think I heard you correct. I was making some Irish stew. Uh, you, you like J. Vernon <laughs> McGee, right? I do, yeah. I like Irish stew, too, oh. in fact. <laughs> well, it's always better tomorrow. Uh, you know, you yeah, got to cook is. it and then let it sit in the refrigerator. Um, I, I love J. Vernon. Anyway... I, I wanted to ask a question, and I know it's been a long time since I called, but I've been listening for a long time still. Uh, I just couldn't always get to where I could make a phone call because mm-hmm. I wasn't stateside. Um, uh, it's it's around the, the like the last nine chapters, the book of Ezekiel. Uh, the prophet seems to be describing in in some detail actually about the rituals, the ceremonies uh, of the. My understanding that's the final temple. That'll be um, the 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 next temple, I guess. Um, and actually, I just lost it. It's like in chapter. Uh, oh, I lost it, but it's around chapter forty-three, forty-four. But uh, Ezekiel, my question is this: Ezekiel says uh, that the animal sacrifices will be reinstated. Mm-hmm. I guess the quote, if I remember correct, was in full glory. But they talked about the prince. Um, like many times, uh, I was reading mm-hmm. the prince, the prince, uh, toward the end of the book, especially. Um, eh, the, my Jewish friends will say that this is their Messiah, and uh, and the prince is actually uh, one of the ones that's there uh, with the animal sacrifices, and that just that of course doesn't to me sound like uh, like Jesus at all, and so I was wondering if you could give me um, a little understanding about who it is that Ezekiel is talking about when he um, is calling someone the prince. Yes, I can do that, James. Thank you very, very much. Um, Ezekiel, um, uh, I, I love reading Ezekiel, but it gives you a headache. I mean, <laughs> Ezekiel is is difficult to follow. And there are a lot of questions about Ezekiel that we don't have clear-cut answers on. For example, uh, Gog and Magog and the, the war uh, from Ezekiel uh, 37, 38, and 39. Um, is it before the rapture or after the rapture? Now, I personally believe that it happens after the rapture. Um, but um, um, we don't know that for sure, uh, so there's a lot of questions. Now, uh, with regard to the sacrifices, and clearly in the Millennial Temple, it'll be Solomon's Temple, um, rebuilt gloriously uh, by the end cross. Jesus will take his seat on the throne of David, uh, and there will be animal sacrifices, and that confuses a lot. Why would there be animal sacrifices? We don't need those anymore. But in the Millennium, those animal sacrifices will be done in memorial. It will just help us remember. Remember, the Jewish temple is for Jews. And um, there have been, I mean, since 70 AD, James, since 70 AD, there has been um, the Jewish faith, religion has not been celebrated uh, with animal sacrifices, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, uh, the prophets say. So what they're going to do is have those in memorial. It's not to get saved. Uh, by that time, um, they they will already be um, uh, have recognized their Messiah. We know this from Zechariah, that uh, chapters 12 and 14, 
that prior to uh, the inauguration of Jesus's um, uh, kingdom, um, he's going to return. Revelation chapter 19 describes it, and they're going to recognize him. They're going to say, where did you get these wounds? And he's going to say, I got them in the house of my friends. And they're going to fall on their face and repent, and they'll be wailing um, and weeping as as uh, almost never before. Um, but, but it will be um, a clear, Zechariah says, one-third of the Jews who are alive will recognize him as their Messiah. The Jews who don't recognize him, the two-thirds, and this to me is a tragedy, the two-thirds who don't recognize Jesus as their Messiah, uh, they will be judged. Um, they won't go into the millennium. Uh, they will be judged along with the enemies of Jesus Christ when he returns. So in the millennium, there's absolutely no problem at all with understanding that that Jesus is the Messiah, and that leaves a spot for Israel's prince. Now, I've, I feel very strongly about this, James. Um, do you remember when John and James, uh, two of Jesus' inner circle, they came to him, actually they sent their mother uh, to say, my sons, uh, do, do what my sons ask you to do. And he says, what do they want me to do? And he says, well, the seats, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus had just explained that there will be, they will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And John and James, um, they kind of beat all of the others. And they said, well, we want the seats on your right and on your left. And Jesus said, oh, you've asked something hard. Those seats are not mine to give, but, but they're given by my Father in heaven. Well, I believe with all of my heart that one of those seats is going to go to the Apostle Paul. That means the 12 thrones for the apostles. Matthias will be on the throne. He, I, I believe he was rightly chosen. So the Apostle Paul will have one of those very special places. And the other one is going to be uh, reserved for Israel's prince. And Ezekiel lets us know that David is Israel's prince. So that seat will be taken by David, and he is the one that will be Israel's prince. No other king ever like him. God said he was a man after my own heart. Now remember, he was a man and he did some horrible things. But David's heart and David's role is going to be honored uh, over Israel, um, uh, second only to Jesus uh, in the millennium. And uh, it's almost like Jesus said, you know, you've always revered David as the king of kings of Israel, well, he's really the prince, Israel's prince during the millennium, and um, and his job is to point to me. So there won't be any misunderstanding uh, among Jews at that time. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Tryon. He says, in the millennium, will Christians marry and have babies? Um, yeah, Tryon. Uh, now, now, those of us who are raptured or those who have died and, and gone to be with Christ, um, we won't marry. Th- those in our glorified, resurrected bodies, our physical bodies, uh, there will be no marriage, um, um, no babies being had by us. But remember, in the millennium, uh, the people who are converted, the people that come out of the Great Tribulation, and then, of course, the, the, the multiplied billions of people, if not trillions of people, who for a thousand years, um, because uh, Jesus rules so justly and so lovingly, they will become believers. Remember, they will be in their physical bodies, not glorified, in their human bodies. And yes, uh, they will be married. There will be kids being born throughout the thousand years. You can imagine how many babies can be born in a near-perfect environment uh, in a thousand years. So, so those Christians who did not get raptured or who did not die before the rapture, those Christians will continue to marry, and they will have babies, and they will inhabit the earth, and uh, they will multiply and be fruitful. So, yes, they will marry and have babies. But trying for people like us, uh, as believers, we're going to be raptured before Jesus comes. Uh, No more marriage and no more babies. Now, I don't know how far I'm going to get this coming Sunday. 
but I'm coming in the place in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus talks. He he answers a dishonest question from the Sadducees. And that's kind of the theme of chapter 12, all the dishonest questions and how Jesus deals with them, which I think is very instructive for for believers because we get all kinds of dishonest questions. But we're actually going to get the question from the Sadducees, remember, they don't believe in the resurrection, and they're going to try to trap Jesus by saying, in the resurrection, and, and, and Jesus is going to shut him down. And Jesus makes it clear that like the angels, where there's no marriage, those of us who are in Christ, uh, in heaven, there won't be marriage again. So um, once we get to the new heaven and the new earth, after the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, that's when marriage uh, will stop, and there won't be babies and stuff born after that. But in the millennium, Tryon, the answer is yes. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Hope. And every time we hear Hope's name, I'm sure this isn't her, but um, Hope, if you're listening, we're praying for you, and we love you so much. Um, your, your fight... Um, has been courageous, and we're, we're, we're with you. So this hope says, how do we determine things like tithing and which day to worship between the Old Testament and the New Testament? It's confusing to me. Hope, I think it's only confusing to you because there's so much bad teaching about it. It really is simple. Um, when Jesus talked about tithing, and when he talked about, uh, in the New Testament, talking about observing the Sabbath day. And remember, Jesus, they believed, was was violating the Sabbath, which is silliness because that would have been a sin. They're the ones that misunderstood the Sabbath. Jewish's, Jesus' ministry, rather, is Jewish. And he's talking to Jews. You tithe and it's right that you do so. Well, that was under Jewish law, and Jesus' ministry was Jew, Jewish, and uh, people were under the law. So when Jesus talks about uh, tithing and uh, in the New Testament, the Gospels talk about honoring the Sabbath. Um, that's appropriate because the, the, the conversation, the communication is for Jews. Now, that changed when Jesus in the upper room took the cup and said, this is a cup of the new covenant written in my blood. Paul the Apostle makes it clear that we understand that when he established a new covenant, he was canceling the old. And so in the New Testament, beginning actually in the book of Acts, when when the, the, the first century church changed the official day of worship to Sunday, the first day of the week, to commemorate, to honor the resurrection of our Lord, the most important day in, in, in our faith, the day that Jesus Christ, who was dead, rose from the dead and now lives. And so it's very simple. If you are a Jew, uh, Jesus was addressing you in the New Testament, if you're under law. But once the new covenant came, Jesus himself changed everything. And the apostles, who are the foundation of our faith, uh, they're the ones who orchestrated the change to um, worship on the first day of the week or Sunday. So the same thing is true with tithing. Uh, you can't find uh, in the book of Acts, nor can you find in any of the epistles uh, in our New Testament, uh, a commandment for Christians to be under the law of tithing. It's simply not. In fact, Paul says that we're to give more. I mean, if you give 10% under law, how much more should we who are under grace give? Uh, We're not compelled to give. He says, give with a cheerful heart, not under compulsion. Don't let anybody force you to give. And and even now, New Testament churches that are putting people under the yoke of a of a New Testament tithe are going beyond what the Bible says to do. In fact, contradicting um, what, what the Bible says to do. Now, if, if what you feel led by God to give is 10%, well, God bless you for that. Give, but don't do it because you have to. Give it because you're grateful. Give it because you love God. But here's the biggest problem, Hope. We actually like giving 10% because it limits the amount we give. We're so afraid to say, Lord, everything is yours. And that's a New Testament command. Everything that we have, everything we ever will have is God's. 
We're not our own. We're bought with the price. Um, uh, he's the focus of our lives. So everything, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, everything belongs to him. Well, hope we don't like that because we think, well, what if God asked me to give more? And so it's really easy to get in a comfortable pattern of giving only 10%. It's like we can, we can count out a dollar and say, okay, Lord, here's 10 cents for you and 90 cents for me. And we do that with our giving. In fact, some people even begrudge God, well, should I give on the net or can I, or do I have to give on the gross? Everything belongs to God. And hope what God wants us to do is to trust him. To trust him also in Mark chapter 12. I'm going to get, I know I won't get there this, this coming Sunday. But Jesus is watching people give in the temple treasury. And there's a long line of people and the wealthier giving in large amounts. But the only one Jesus notices is a widow who gives just two tiny mites next to nothing. And Jesus said, she's the one with great faith. She's the one that understands giving because she, out of her poverty, gave all she had to live on. And what Jesus was commending her for was that the moment she left that temple treasury, she had only God to depend on. So hope, we should understand we have only God to depend on. And every time that we have money to give, we should say, Lord, How much do you want me to give? And I think if we seek the Lord with all of our heart and we'll give with a cheerful heart, believe me, the Holy Spirit will give you direction. But it's easy to determine which Old Testament uh, is for today, which isn't. Jesus canceled the Old Covenant with a New Covenant altogether. So I hope that makes sense to you, Hope. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585, I think um, we have um, um, enough time for a quick phone call if somebody wants to call. Here's a question that came in from our mobile app. This one is five minutes. Okay, we don't have time for another phone call. I'm sorry. Here's a question from our mobile app from Raul. Raul says, I've heard that Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, is not a good book. What's wrong with it? Thank you, Raul. Raul, it's a horrible, 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 horrible book. Um, it's heretical. Um, Sarah Young uh, is is um, basically taking the place of of the Bible, um, saying that God wants us to have an experience that transcends the Bible. Uh, we've got to remember that the Bible is God's word to us, uh, and anything that is different than what the Bible teaches us is wrong. And Sarah Young is um, basically, I've never heard her call herself a prophetess, but she's a false prophetess. And the book Jesus Calling, I don't know why, but it is enormously popular with women. It's touchy-feely. It's emotional. The problem is it's just wrong. She represents herself as as having um, um, a relationship with God that goes above the Word of God. And basically what she's saying in that book, Raul, is that what I'm saying to you is the witness of Jesus Christ to you, and that's really, really dangerous. So it is a terrible, terrible, terrible book, and a lot of people are being hurt by it. So I hope that answers your question. Okay, we've got one more time for one more question, I think. This one is from Richard. He said, um, Richard said, I've heard you say that God isn't angry, but he's angry a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, I wonder if he gets angry when I sin. Um, Richard, the, the thing that you have to understand about God's anger is his anger is righteous. Your anger and my anger, well, our anger isn't righteous anger. Now, we might have moments where we're righteously angry. But the truth is, when we're angry, almost always we're in our flesh. So um, um, God isn't angry at us. He's angry in the Old Testament because his people have violated their word. They have broken their covenant with God. He's angrier yet because he sends prophet after prophet after prophet. My study yesterday here at Calvary Chapel was Jesus telling the parable about he sent these servants uh, to tell the, the to collect some some uh, harvest from the vineyards that, that I rented out. 
And they beat the servants. Well, they beat and killed the prophets. And the prophets were sent because God loved them and because God didn't want to have to judge them. And so he was angry with them, but he was righteously angry. And you have to understand the difference between law and grace is when God is angry, justice, judgment has to take place. And that's exactly what happened. So he's angry, but it's not God throwing a hissy fit. He's angry uh, because his heart breaks for the people. In the New Testament, and in the time that we live in, there's, um, God still gets righteously angry with people who don't do what we know to do. Um, but, but his anger, righteous anger, is, is overshadowed even by his compassion, by his kindness, by his patience with us, his abounding love. So, um, God doesn't get angry when you sin. You don't surprise him, Richard, when you sin. Um, and he's made provision for you to be forgiven instantly and restored completely. And it's First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, that is to agree with God about what is sin. He gets to make the rules you don't. If you confess your sins, asking for forgiveness... He, we're told, is faithful and just to forgive you and to purify you. That's always in the active tense. Continue to purify you from all unrighteousness. So, no, he's not angry when you sin. That's the enemy who's trying to make you think God's mad at you. But remember, he loves you. And and if he's convicting you of sin, all he wants you to do is return to him. Good question, Richard. Thank you very, very much. Tonight... Our 7 o'clock men's, women's, and youth Bible studies, our last Sweet Summer Devotion with Darlene Littman. And um, I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.